Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Today, we're joined by a longtime friend, someone that I did not even know she apparently moved, um, Tracy Chatwell, founding partner of 1843 Capital, also named one of Entrepreneurs Magazine's 100 Powerful Women and Forbes 8 Women VCs to Know. If you ask me, she is the VC to Know. So anyway, that's just my opinion. I'm sticking to it. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Um, tell us a little bit more about Team 1843 and some of your portfolio companies. Thanks, Theo. Well, it's so great to talk to you. Uh, 1843 Capital is an early stage venture capital fund that is a generalist fund. Uh, we we our team is based in uh, in Greenwich, Connecticut, but at this point we're sort of distributed all over the place. Like you said, uh, I've been spending time in Montana, which is fantastic. With COVID, it's it's been a really terrific place to be, um, and our team is all over the place, but uh, still still plugging along strong. Um, in some ways. There's even more deals to do and 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 more things happening. So it's a it's a really exciting time. Um, but we we're a generalist fund, but we do have a thesis around technology for the aging, which I've called Silver Tech, because we just see this as the largest market opportunity there is. And, and when you think about, you know, some of the companies that you invest in, um, tell us a little bit more about sort of the breadth of the companies in SilverTech that you invest in. And um, then we have some more questions about how you look at female founders and funding uh, women. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we, we, because we are a generalist fund, we have companies that are in a lot of different places, but, uh, the most recent ones that have focused on the silver tech thesis, uh, I, I'm sure you guys are well versed in, um, in the longevity economy and, uh, a lot of the research that's been done around it. But, um, uh, Joe Coughlin from the MIT age lab, really when he came out with his book he said you know the number one problem is mobility for seniors and so they worked for a couple of years in the mobility space and every time you know i like to do a lot of first person research so i go out and talk to the customers and say listen i you know i have the opportunity to invest in companies that are going to help you where do you see your biggest problems and uh time after time again whether it was a senior living facility or or anyone dealing in the aging space they said to me transportation we need to get transportation off the books so if you look at our portfolio you might not see that thread but our company may mobility which is an autonomous driving electric shuttle company uh very much is focused on making sure that people have transportation within city centers and this is the only company that at the time had a wheelchair accessible prototype which i thought was was very important um they're located in ann arbor michigan and uh um was a male and female co-founder which is terrific we do we do prefer diverse teams um but it's really exciting they're now launched in a lot of other cities like uh, indianapolis and um, providence rhode island and ann arbor michigan and arlington texas was one of the, their recent launches so we're incredibly excited about them not just from the progress that they've made internally with a, a you know product development around autonomous driving but also too that they're actually up and running in cities and data, you know, collecting all sorts of terrific data from from having those opportunities to be functional, which a lot of the autonomous driving companies actually don't have real time functional data. 
Um, so that's one. And then the other is Hop, Skip, Drive. Um, Hop, Skip, Drive is a company based in Los Angeles run by Joanna McFarland, who's probably one of the best CEOs in my portfolio. And um, Hop, Skip, Drive is focused on having care drivers that pass a five-point uh, qualification test to be able to drive both young children and people who are aging or who need some extra help. And, you know, that's one of the problems with Lyft and Uber is that they their drivers, you know, they, they drop someone on the corner and race right off where someone from a hop, skip drive might actually walk someone into an appointment or could be booked to stay throughout the entire appointment and has specialized training and, and background checks. And um, I haven't checked the statistics recently, but I do remember Joanna telling me that 90% of her drivers are women, which are helpful, and they all have caregiving experience. So this is this is a really terrific company that has been in eight states already. Um, it had a little bit of a slowdown because they were driving foster children to public schools and it was one of the nice uh, B2B offerings they had, which helped with their customer acquisition. Obviously, if you have larger contracts like that, it's easier to scale, um, but really a company doing really well and, and helping to solve mobility issues for people who are aging. Um, the most recent company we invested in is uh, out of Dallas, Texas called Carry Loop. And this company is fascinating and, and one of the ones I'm the most proud of because I don't know if you guys have seen the statistics around women leaving the workforce, but uh, the Biden administration has called it a national emergency. Uh, and a lot of the reasons that these women have had to leave during COVID is because of caregiving responsibilities, whether it's for children or for an aging parent. And CareLoop is a product that is sold to Fortune 500 companies to their human resources department as a benefit for their employees. So their employees don't have to take the eye off the ball from their productivity of whatever they're doing in the company when they have a care issue come up. So let's say your mom is diagnosed with Alzheimer's and, and you know, where do you start? I mean, I mean, even for people who are educated or even for me, someone who's in this space, I wouldn't know where to start. So these care coaches through both a technical solution, but then also to a, a live care coach person, help map out a care journey for your parent or your child um, and even do things like navigate Medicare and Medicaid. So it's just incredibly helpful and, and hopefully we'll be able to keep more women in the workforce uh, by giving them a helping hand. So that just sort of gives you a, a broad brush of, of what we've invested in today. I love everything that you just said and thanks Theo it, it I am serious and it reinforced why I, I think what I said what I said was really true and you are the one that everyone needs to meet and Aww. we need more VCs like you because it, it's refreshing in a way that listening to what you were talking about the startups that they're actually solving a social issue a challenge that all of us face right uh, i'll quote um a good friend yeah. ramsey she always says you know aging is something that we all go through right yeah and being able to age well should be and needs to be a, a right it is a human right to age well and we need yes. to put forth you know what we can in a society to help people to get there it should not be a privilege and we need more entrepreneurs excited about you know, doing something for everybody. And we need more people like yourself to support what they're doing on the journey. And it's so important and we don't have enough. And 
another yeah. thing I want to call out when you were describing the companies is they're not all just based in the Bay Area or in the city. <laughs> they're yeah. from Texas. They're from Michigan. Yeah. And, and Los I Angeles, think, yeah. right, in Los Angeles, it, it shows that good ideas can be found everywhere if we're willing to look and if we're willing yep. to nurture it. So I, right. that's a long about way of saying I just love what you do. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah, thanks. Well, we're not, you know, we don't have a sort of a mandate to look in other places, but, um, you know, I have a company in Portland, Oregon, and I have a company in Vancouver, Canada as well. So. We do, I, I think we're really incredibly open-minded and I think that helps, you know, with, with companies that are located outside of New York and the Bay Area. So, so let's let's talk about that a little bit um, because you're not exactly kind of, you know, trying to unearth um, founders from around, you know, different parts of the country necessarily, but you do find right. them. And you're right. not necessarily sort of going out of your way to, to find female founders or diverse founders. <clears throat> so let's talk about that issue a little bit because the lack of sure. funding for both diverse founders and, and women has still been very, very small compared to the overall. And, yep. you know, part of it is because, you know, being in Silicon Valley myself, um, you can't, you know, you can't find what you don't see in your day to day, apparently, with some of these VC firms. Um, so how do we get things to change and how have you seen things change over the last 12 yeah. months uh, because of COVID or other reasons? Yeah, I think, um, you know, what's what's very different about us, I, I think that a lot of people spend a lot of time blogging and spend a lot of time doing thought leadership and uh, and tweeting a lot and trying to build a brand name so the deal flow will come to them. And um, I, I think that that is fine and it's an interesting approach, but it's it's not how we approach the problem. We, we do the reverse. We go through and find out, take the largest market opportunity there is, and then dive into where the real opportunities are within that market. Who are the payers? What are the problems that really need to be solved? And, and are people willing to pay for them? So when we do that, we're extremely thesis driven and we look for companies within a certain space and then you know look we we absolutely prefer diverse founding teams we think that they produce better outcomes and so all the better if we can find a company um, that has a diverse founding team but also too you know we're not we're not hamstrung to looking just at all the companies that are in the Bay area that are that are interesting in our space we're we're tracking down absolutely every one of them trying to talk to each one of them and then picking the best whether they're located in new york you know dc atlanta miami portland san francisco where wherever they happen to be it's all about who's doing the best job and you know quite frankly the other half of the piece of this uh, this puzzle is that when you're trying to make outsized returns as a venture capital fund you you focus number one on the opportunity and who's doing the best job but then also it's about the deal and you know i come i have a background of, as a lawyer and and in finance and banking and so i'm looking at the deal structure as well as how well the team is performing too and, and looking at the balance in that um but in terms of making change for all different types of founders, I think, look, COVID's done a lot for that, hasn't it? You know, we're, we're you no longer have to get on a plane um, to meet people outside of your network. Uh, they're, as, they're as quick as a call away. And so uh, that I think has, has done a lot for female founders. I also think that too, that when I started, well, God, when I started at Baker Capital, um, we never saw a female founder. Um, they just, they just, 
weren't a lot of them out there. And then uh, when I started to raise this fund, I guess we're coming up on the third anniversary now and started to raise a little before that, we were just starting to see the evolution of uh, women founders really coming online exponentially. And there was a lot of education, a lot of uh, accelerators for them, a lot of encouragement. And as a result, you know, we're seeing just as many female founders in interesting spaces as as we are male founders. And um, and I think awareness too, and and people desiring to say, hey, we we want to make sure that we get a look at all these diverse teams, so that uh, if if that does turn out to be the best one, we can make the investment. I don't know if I've ever asked you, or maybe we had talked about it before. Why did you call the firm 1843? There was a backstory behind it, wasn't it? There is a backstory behind it. And it's a great one that I absolutely love. And I, I think has to be a masterpiece theater event at some point, because 1843 is the year that Ada Lovelace wrote the first computer program. And Ada, so it's a nod to the fact that women have been in tech for a really, really long time, hundreds of years actually. And uh, uh, Ada was Lord Byron, the poet's um, only legitimate daughter. And so I, we, you know, we always joke, well, what would happen if Ada was funded? I, I, I like that. Um, and, and it just goes to show how, um, something that started a, a field that was i would say neutral in a way where you know women yeah. were participating they were contributing they were doing great things to right. where we are today right it's kind of yep. like wait a minute what what happened there um but yeah. you know it, it it is what it is and and i hope um i like what you were saying about awareness um that we are more mm -hmm. aware of what needs right. to change we're yeah. more aware of not needs to happen and we have more allies um, so hopefully, right. you know, it will get better. <laughs> it yeah. has to get better, right? I think so. And the allies are really important. Um, sometimes I even consider myself sort of a bridge in terms of communication. And and sometimes I will see decks that just aren't using the verbiage or the format of, of what we traditionally see in VC. And I think sometimes when we're used to seeing certain things a certain way, we get very spoiled. And if we don't see those things in a deck, we might have some unconscious bias that the founder doesn't really understand their business, which is often not the case. They just haven't put it in that absolutely perfect VC format, you know, and, and using using the right words, you know. Um, so hopefully I, I become a bridge to, to that. And then also to, uh, you know, very often a lot of women will come to me and they'll say, you know, I have this type of company and I'm looking for funding, Tracy. I know you don't do, con you know, necessarily a lot of consumer or food or something like that, but do you know somebody who does? And now that I'm in the business, sure, I can be a conduit and say, yeah, look, why don't you reach out to this person or that person? Cause I know they're interested in the space. Yep. Network effect. So I love it's all, that. Yeah. It's all a big circle, right? Yes, it is all a big circle and it takes a, it takes a tribe. It takes a village to get there. Yep. yep. So speaking, speaking of village, um, <laughs> let's look at what happened the last few months. It's been crazy. Oh, um, sure it's, oh my goodness. Record breaking year almost looks like, um, yeah. it almost looks like COVID didn't happen. The funding yep. news every single day. Um, there was never a dull moment, let's just say. Right. What are some right. of the trends that you, you're watching now and, and why? Yeah. 
Well, I think, you know, this has been a really interesting year because it's pushed people to use technology. You know, technology has benefited from COVID versus the opposite. And it's uh, it's been a facilitator both in, you know, financial services or healthcare or just, you know, corporate uh, opportunities, no matter what you're working on, everybody needs to use technology. Um, you know, obviously, the the reverse side of that is that the valuations in the public markets have just gone insane, and and valuations in the private markets have always been really, really tough for me to get my head around. The last three or four years, they've just been crazy. So um, that that's just gotten worse. But hopefully, with a you know, with the time we're talking right now, there has been a softening um, of the technology stocks, especially the ones that are you know EBITDA positive um, in terms of the public markets. So, but that that doesn't usually sift out into the valuation of the private markets for a while. So um, so where are we where are we finding opportunities? Sure, obviously we really like opportunities that are priced correctly. Um, I, I have a lot of trouble doing deals that are 40 times revenue. Um, but uh, but also too, it's back to sort of where you know we just sort of stick to our knitting on where is where's the opportunity within our thesis and caregiving um, was a big one. And so Carry Loop, we found Carry Loop by far, you know, and we looked at 360 companies in the space around caregiving and Carry Loop was the best one in the class, solving the best problem. And I uh, was able to scale the most efficiently and, and effectively um, capitalize on it. So it's a, it's a profit making company. Um, but uh, right now, the spaces that we find interesting. We still think that there's in fintech and financial services for people who are aging, there's still a lot of opportunity. Um, I do call this space spinach. People don't wanna eat their spinach, even though it's really good for them <laughs> and, and contributes to their long-term health. But, you know, in terms of putting together retirement planning, saving for retirement planning, these are, you know, doing your estates and your, your trust work and insurance products for this. This, uh, we're, we're, we're still looking for one that is really truly breaking out on customer acquisition and um, engagement, right? Because people, they know they have to sell for retirement, but it's really, really hard to get them to do so. And customer acquisition costs have been so high in this space. So that that's someplace we're still really looking. And someplace that we see that is really up and coming that's gonna be incredibly necessary. We'll see how to solve it, you know, from our perspective as investors, where, where we find the best investment opportunity, but the gig economy for people over 50. You know, as you have more and more of our wisdom, this brain trust that exists in, in people that are 50 that are still, you know, incredibly vital and will continue to be based on a lot of the companies that we've seen that are helping them in terms of retaining, you know, cognition with their brains and, and retaining their physical, you know, health and emotional health. Um, we're going to have people that are part of our economy that are going to be incredibly valuable through their 80s. How do we capitalize on that, right? So, um, so we're looking at a lot of sort of either retraining or repositioning companies where people who've retired but still want to contribute um, on their own time, where you know where that could be valuable. Yeah, we we write a lot about um, the gig economy and aging yep. and longevity in the book yep. beyond good which is now available uh, go out to amazon or coven page or wherever you want to buy that um yep. and and you know we we work with companies like stuvo and we feature companies like um, steady and others that offered sort of gig opportunities sort of throughout your career and reskilling and, and what have you and 
when 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 I talk to founders, um, because I've been in CVC for a number of years, when I was at Santander, um, now it's Miro Capital, but it was Santander Ventures, and we invested. I think it was twenty six fintechs. And when wow. when I first have that initial call call or that initial meeting with a founder, they're looking for their you know starting money, and yeah. you know we're seeing yeah. now you know yet another generation of founders learn you know this is the way to raise money and. You know, they're looking at companies that have raised a couple rounds and then if they get to a certain size, now we're seeing, you know, companies being taken public. Well, some are now going IPO. It's nice to see the IPO come back. Um, sure. Some are being taken private and then put into public through SPACs, which reminds us of the ICOs yeah. from a few years back. Yeah. Is, no there kidding. A, is, is there a best way to raise money, regardless of whether you're a first time founder or this is your third time round? I mean, is there truly a best way in your mind? Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, every company is individual, right? And so each, each source of capital could be different for them. And I don't know if the structure is, in my mind, the most important aspect. It's really uh, who is the person behind the structure, right? So if you're talking about Barry Sternlich with his JAWS uh, special acquisition, special purpose acquisition company, that is a completely different situation and I would do that all day long from just um, some generalist person who has a fund because they had a grocery store. I mean, I'm talking about specifically if you're an aging, you know, you want Barry with his knowledge of real estate and and now in terms of retirement communities versus somebody who's made a billion dollars in grocery stores. That if you're an aging, it doesn't matter whether that's a direct investment, it's a private equity investment, or if it's a SPAC investment, if, if, if the person behind it doesn't really truly understand your business and, and how to help you scale. And so I think it's really we're talking about who are the best people you want behind you more than anything else. So speaking of people, I, I have a question. So of all the companies you've talked to, you said, for example, yeah. in caregiving, you have talked to, you have evaluated 360 companies. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of yeah, everyone, right? It, it's exhausting. Yeah. But yeah. Um, can you share with us some of the unforgettable moments where there are a few that pop up that, you know, like, oh my God, this is hilarious. Or, oh my God, what on earth? Or, oh my God, you were amazing. Yeah. So, so this is... Uh... This is an interesting question um, because you're right. A lot of it does run together. <laughs> and a lot of it, you know, sometimes I forget. I'm like, wait, is that company, wait, well, this company does this or this company does that? It's hard to sometimes keep them straight and, and we do do a market map so that it helps us in our thinking. But um, just sort of anecdotally, and this is, you know, beyond not scientific, uh, a couple of things. I, I invested not in, in the fund, but personally in um, Greg Renfrew, uh, who has a company called Beauty Counter that is, has done so phenomenally well. And um, one of the, it was to completely different from the way that most people make investments because I went to her launch party and heard her talk about the company that way, not in a pitch, I never saw a deck. Um, and went up to her afterwards and said, this is, this is the most interesting plan. And I like you so much. Let me, I'd love to have an opportunity to invest in your company. And then we, obviously I got a deck later, but it wasn't about that, but, but both, both Greg and then two other founders that I've invested in subsequently, this is just the weirdest thing. They were the only ones who ever said to me, I'm taking this company public. 
you know, a lot of times people talk about their progress and, but just out of the blue, they're like, this company is going public. And you know, those are all my best companies. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, a one sentence toss away, but I think the underlying what it talks about is really the, the commitment, the courage and the, the steadfast belief that they think that they, the company will be successful, that the market is there and that they're the ones to do it. So, you know, I don't recommend that people just go run around and invest in every company when someone says they're taking it public, but, <laughs> but uh, just kind of interesting and anecdotal, you know, that, uh, that the ones that I, that did for me are the ones that are, you know, outperforming. When, when we when we think about this past year uh, and sort of the lessons that we learned, you know, I think it was about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, that um, Theo and I had a conversation about what was happening in Hong Kong and other places in Asia. And she said, yeah. you should take this one seriously because my family and friends are saying that this is significant. And uh, little did we know, I think at the time, that we would be locked down for a year, that we would have kids in yeah. you know, remote school for a year, and that we would be right. changing the way that we do every single thing. Um, yeah. And, and I was fortunate, you know, she sent me a box of masks before we even had lockdown yeah. and uh, I was more wow. than prepared to go get food uh, and felt wow. protected. And so I will never forget yeah. that. So thank you yeah. um, to my, yeah. my partner here. Um, what would you say when we think about this past year to founders in terms of navigating uncertainty? Because this has been the most uncertain of times where it's been hard to find any solace, but there's certainly been lessons. So what would you say going forward to founders thinking about post COVID and how they should think about their business? Is that the fundamentals haven't changed, right? And that you need to rely on yourself. And the only consistent thing is that things will always be changing and there will always be black swan events. So if you continue to be guided by your values and your principles, you continue to work hard and you continue to listen to what the market is saying to you. And I think that that's, that's one of the critical pieces is that a lot of times people will dive ahead with a, a product that they think that is very interesting and necessary, but you God, listen to the customer. And they, as a VC, that's what I do. I go out and I talk to the customers first before I make any investments in companies because you need to know exactly what what they want, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, I mean, Steve Jobs with his comment that people don't know what they want until you show it to them. There is some truth to that, but, but really true. You do have to have your, your ear to the ground and that's not, that's not going to change no matter what happens. Um, and that just always look for the silver linings and take advantage of opportunities that happen as a result of, of, you know, any type of black swan event like COVID. And I think that, um, as long as our markets and our economy can can hold strong through this, you know, we, we you know have a huge care package that's going through the government right now um, that is going to mean a lot of debt for our country. And so we're going to have to see how we navigate that. But there's never been a better opportunity to be a, a, a founder. There's never been a better opportunity to acquire customers. It's so cheap to start a business. It's so cheap to acquire customers. Um, so it's really about having that product that people actually want and, and getting out there and, and putting your, your nose to the grindstone. I like that. Look for the silver linings. That was what you said to yeah. me two years ago when we <laughs> met for a breakfast. And uh, little do I know that that was the last time we're going to meet. 
So hopefully oh, we'll be able to yeah. catch up in person. I miss you, Tracy, but thank Would you so much. It. I miss for you being too. On our show. Yeah. And thank you for Absolutely. everything that you have done for the ecosystem, for the market of longevity. This is something that's near and dear to our hearts. So thank you. I appreciate that. My pleasure. And, yep. and for everyone else, thank you so much for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you next week.